630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Well, would you look at this? A night off in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Yes, it's true. Just two nights off before things get going on Sunday afternoon when the Tampa Bay Lightning take on the New York Islanders rematch of the Eastern Conference Final of a year ago. This is not a conference final. This is a Stanley Cup semifinal. But the winner of this series will advance to the Stanley Cup final and be awarded with the Prince of Wales trophy. You can catch that game right here on 630 Jed. We begin our Stanley Cup playoff coverage. And that game is a 1 o'clock start. You can catch it right after the uh, news at 1 o'clock. And then... On Monday, and this is going to be supercharged hype, supercharged anticipation, the Montreal Canadiens visiting the Vegas Golden Knights game one of their Stanley Cup semi, and the winner will get to carry the Campbell Conference Bowl or stand beside it. I always want the teams to touch it because I just don't believe in this silly superstition. If you touch it, you will win. Yeah, okay. But uh, anyway, 7 o'clock is the uh, drop of the puck. You'll hear it right here on 6.30, Chad, as well, just after the 7 o'clock news. So that means we have a one-hour inside sports on Monday night, which you will have Reed Wilkins making his triumphant return from his vacation. You got me for one more night, and I would be Dave Campbell. Nice to have you along, folks, as uh, we get you set for the Stanley Cup semifinals. Well, one one series for sure, because there's going to be a lot of attention. The Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights. First time we will see out of divi- or interdivisional play, because that's all we saw for 56 games in the first two rounds of the playoffs. Now we will see the Canadiens heading to Vegas to play the Knights in a madhouse at T-Mobile Arena in a full building. And the line from Vegas, minus 450. That's the line favoring Vegas. That's wild. That is like unheard of almost. So nobody believes in the Montreal Canadiens. Their interim head coach, Dominic Duchard, says, yeah, we do. You know, having people doubting you, I always personally like to prove people wrong. Uh, that uh, when people think that we cannot do something, uh, you know, it's always a, it's always nice to. Uh, it's another layer where you can uh, gain uh, energy or uh, another challenge. We believe in ourselves. Not too many people uh, did uh, starting the playoffs, and we don't care if it changes or not. We're uh, controlling what we can control, but uh, when the puck drop, we'll be ready to go. And let's head down to Montreal right now. I'll be joined by Sportsnet.ca's Eric Ingles. Eric, always nice to have you back on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm doing fine. I, I tell you, I'm looking forward to the Final Four. It, it, it just, it, I don't want to say Tampa Bay and, and the Islanders seem like an afterthought right now, but it really does feel that way, especially up here in Canada and the Montreal Canadiens will face the Vegas Golden Knights for the right to go to the Stanley cup and to hoist the, the, the Clarence Campbell goal. Wouldn't that be amazing if the Canadians first make it to the Stanley cup final and with all the times in their history where they hoisted the Prince of wit, well, maybe not hoisted it posed in front of the, or beside the Prince of Wales trophy. If they do that with the Clarence Campbell bowl, talk about history making moment. 
It would be different, that's for sure. But I think the more amazing feat would be beating this Golden Knights team, which just took care of Colorado in six games. And uh, for as few people as there were that predicted the Canadians would move forward through the playoffs, um, let alone pass the first round, I I don't know how many would have predicted that Vegas would beat Colorado in less than seven. Um, but, you know, there were two teams that finished with the same amount of points in the standings. They were pretty much just as good as each other for most of the year. And, you know, what Vegas proved is a very similar model that Montreal has used to advance this far, which is that it's not so much about having the superstars in the top end. It's about having the depth throughout your lineup and everyone going at the same time to give you the best opportunity to win. And you look at the way the Canadians have played their last seven games where they haven't, they haven't relinquished the lead at any point. Uh, it's just a full team throttle game. and It's been extremely impressive to watch them hit the level that they've hit. And I think with the confidence they have, they have to believe that they can get to a whole new level and they're going to need to against this Vegas team. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, confidence and belief, I think, are two great words that you use to describe this hockey club. And if you look at, you know, the, the Vegas line, it's not all that respectful towards the Canadians. I think, what, what was it, uh, negative or minus 450. That's the uh, opening line for game number one. Uh, I'm not sure if it's game one of the series, but anyway, it's a crazy line. Like, I've, I haven't seen a number that high very often or if, if at all. But Dominic Ducharme, I, I played the clip before uh, we brought you on, and he says, if no one else believes in us, that's fine. We believe in ourselves. And, you know, we see teams employ that, but I, I think this is a team that is really authentically believing that. I agree. And uh, I think it's not the worst thing for them as they've had a bit of time off and obviously things taking them out of the rhythm that they were in as they prepared for to find out who they were going to play next. And, you know, they could say that they don't care what anyone else says. And, you know, if you listen to Pete DeBoer's comments last night, when he was talking about how Vegas overcame a 2-0 deficit in the series against Colorado to come back, it's clear that it's always been a, you know, it's age old. It's always going to be the same case in sports. It's a rallying point for teams when they are this greatly underestimated. And the Canadians will have to use that because we know where the crowd advantage stands. It's going to be in Vegas's favor with what they have going on uh, at T-Mobile Arena, the full rink. And it's clearly fueled them through the three wins that they were able to pull off at home to win their last series. And, you know, you just think the Canadians having something to rally around like that and being so grossly underestimated, it's worked out pretty well for them so far. Yeah, no doubt. Eric Engels joining us from Sportsnet.ca, senior writer, uh, insider, also covers the Montreal Canadiens, joining us on 630 Chat Inside Sports. Uh, that's my next point, too, and you, you led me into it, is the fact that now the Canadians will be seeing something they haven't seen uh, really at all this season, except for a smattering of fans in Toronto and a smattering of fans in Winnipeg. They're going to T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, which is going to be a madhouse and a, and a full building. But do you see this team as going, fine, great, that, that's no problem for us. I mean, we face all kinds of adversity all season. Or you, you, Are you curious about how they're going to handle the first 10 minutes in game one? I mean, I think they're going to be excited about it. We, we know that it's brought the best out of the Golden Knights, and I understand it's going to be an adjustment for a team that hasn't been in a building with a packed, packed uh, crowd since over a year ago. 
But, you know, these guys have been playing in front of packed houses their entire careers. And the Canadians over the last couple have been a very good road team. Um, so I, I don't I don't know that it's as much of a fact. I will not negate how much of a factor it is for Vegas in terms of the way they play and how they feed off that crowd. I just wouldn't underestimate how the Canadians might feed off of it. That's all. You know, it's it's not like it's going to be a brand new experience for them and they've never seen this before. <laughs> it's yeah. so uh but I, I can't I can't wait till it all gets started. I think you have two teams that are much more evenly matched than people believe. The talent discrepancy is definitely there. There's no question that the, the Golden Knights have some some more offensive game breakers and potentially some defensive ones too. Um, but it is all about the team game. You know, the, the team yeah. game is what gets you to where you need to go. And you see it with the four teams that are left. They all have four lines that can go six defensemen that can play and, and, and a top four that's excellent and a goaltender that has to be at his very best. And I think Montreal has um, the edge in that one department on Vegas. And, and that's with no disrespect to Marc-Andre Fleury, who's a Vezina candidate this year. It's just Carey Price is playing better right now than any other goaltender in the playoffs. And he's on a mission. Yeah. And Price is definitely, I mean, he's no Philip Grubauer, no disrespect to Philip Grubauer. Carey Price is, uh, is, is next level. Uh, they have top four defensemen that are going to be hard to play against with uh, with Weber. and Well, Petrie, how's Petrie's stat? What's his status right now for game one? He won't be available for game okay. one. Um, but Dominic Ducharme is holding out hope that he'll be available early in the, se- in the series. I don't know if that means game two. I don't know if it means game three or four. But, you know, this is... Uh, He's obviously going to have to play through some pain, much like a lot of the guys do have to at this stage of the year. You know, it's funny, Dave, you mentioned uh, Grubauer's name, and I don't know if it really got enough play, but I felt that game six, it really cost the avalanche. Yeah. And and uh, it's tough to say that about a guy who was a Vezina candidate this year and played great hockey and really proved to be one of the better goalies in the league and, and deserves his props for that. But I don't know what happened to him last night, and I don't, I didn't see any adjustment uh, even contemplated by Jared Bednar, which is understandable because Grubauer has been his guy, right? But you could just see that it was getting heavier and heavier as the game went along, and he just he wasn't able to to pull himself out of the fire, so to speak. So it's that was a that was tough to watch. I wonder how many GMs uh, stood up after the game last night and said, "Wow, a, a Philip Grubauer, who's a Vezina Trophy candidate, may be coming in at a bargain price after all in free agency, and we're looking for a goaltender." I'm wondering wondering if that thought entered any GM's mind who are looking for a goaltender. I think the real question is, is what are the thoughts that entered into Joe Sackick's mind as he contemplates what he's going to do with that position moving forward? Um, You don't want to react or overreact to just one game. Uh, But I think, you know, as you move along into the avalanche offseason, it's going to be a question that comes up over and over and over again. Uh, and we'll see how resolute Sackick is to make either a change there or opt for stability and show belief uh, in a player that was really good for 99% of the year and had one bad game that really cost them. Yeah, no question. Eric Engels from Sportsnet.ca, uh, senior writer, also covers the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, joining us here on 630 Chet Inside Sports. I kind of got sidetracked there when I was asking about Petrie, but you know, my point there was, you know, you got Weber, Edmondson and Serrata played really, really well. Um, and they're bigger. They're not like the Avs. They were going to probably find a way to punish or try and punish the the Knights forwards. 
But when I look at the matchup with uh, I think about the Chandler Stevenson line with Pacioretty and Stone uh, going up against the McKinnon line and and the, uh, the, the, the the that line for the Knights really had their way. But here comes Philippe Deneau, who probably I would imagine would get that matchup or that assignment. And Philippe Deneau, he's not an offensive juggernaut, but boy, he's a good defensive juggernaut. And I think he proved in the first two rounds, he can shut down top guys. Oh, there's no question about it. He's playing the best hockey of his life right now. And he is capable of producing more offense. And it's it makes for a really, really interesting dynamic in the series because everyone is looking at Nick Suzuki and Max Pacioretty uh, as pieces that were traded for each other. But it was Philip Deneau who was Max Pacioretty's centerman for a number of years. And he's going to have to go up against him in this series. And I think that is an incredible uh, kind of sidebar to this whole situation. And, you know, you talk about the line matching. Obviously, the Carlson line is excellent for Vegas. And they've got the heavy line on the fourth line. You know, Montreal has found a very interesting dynamic within their own lines and within the roles that each one of them plays. You've got a real energy physical line uh, and a kind of a north-south line and Paul Byron, Jesperi Kapkiniemi, and Josh Anderson. They can be a huge factor in this series. You've got a, you know, they like to call them the graybeard line because Corey Perry and Eric Stahl are older guys playing on it. But look at the cycle dynamic that has evolved between those two guys and Yoel Armia. They were dominant against the Winnipeg Jets. And it's funny, you would think that the speed deficit that they have would put them at a real deficit against the Golden Knights. But I don't know, if those guys continue to play within the rhythm and the pace that they have, you know, they're thinking and making plays at a faster level than their feet move. And that that's a good mitigating factor. And the Suzuki Caulfield to Foley line has really gotten more dangerous with every game that's been played. And if you think Cole Caulfield is somehow going to end these playoffs with zero goals to his name when he's got, I don't know how many shot attempts. It's it's in the forties possibly. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you're deluded. Like this, this kid is playing great hockey. He's generating great chances by himself, but also getting some from the looks that Suzuki and Foley are giving him. Um, they're going to face a really heavy defensive assignment here in terms of matching up against uh, Alex Petrangelo and, and, and Shea Theodore potentially. And that's, I think those are two defensemen that are better than anything they've faced so far. So they're going to have to be pretty creative and they're going to have to be physical and willing to battle through to get to the front of the net. But, you know, there's just such chemistry within the four lines of the Canadians right now and the way they've bought into their own individual roles and, it's really helping propel this team. And, and we talked about the sum of the parts being having to be the real story for them. And it's been the same thing for Vegas. And I just think that, you know, you talk about that line that's out there, minus 450 for the series. You know, the discrepancy is nowhere near as large as people think it is. And I think we're going to find that out as soon as this series gets going. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, Monday cannot come fast enough. I'm telling you, it's just it just seems like it's too long of a wait, uh, three more sleeps. But I think this is this series has the potential to go real deep. I think it can go six, seven easily. And do the Canadians have a shot? I think they they do. They're not going to be favored, but I do think they have they have the they have the potential. But I, I can't wait to see this series. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for your time tonight, and uh, you enjoy the series as well. Okay. I'm with you, Dave. And what I would say about the Canadians is that they're going to have to keep playing as well, if not better. And I think in this round, more than the other two, Carey Price is going to have to steal a game or two to, to help them along here. But it's going to be fantastic. And you say you can't wait till Monday. 
I'm getting a little sad about the fact that we have to wait until 9 p.m. Eastern, but it's a little better for your folks in Edmonton. So should be great. Yeah, that's right. Only 7 o'clock. Seven, it'll be at 7 o'clock on Monday. Catch it right here on 6.30, Chad. And then before that, on Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock, it is Game 1, Lightning and Islanders, Game 1 of their semifinal series. You can catch that live right here on 6.30, Chad, as well. Well, since the start of the pandemic, we have seen Canada be affected by the COVID-19 pandemic as far as hosting international events. Well, we're going to talk about this with the Chief Operating Officer of Sport Tourism Canada, Grant McDonald, about this issue and the road back. And it probably will not be as easy as we all would like it to be. But we'll discuss that in a moment here as it's the Friday evening edition of 6.30 Chet Inside Sports. Campbell in for Wilkie. Campbell and for Reed Wilkins this week. Reed will be back on Monday, shortened show six to seven before we bring you game one of the Stanley Cup semifinal series between the Montreal Canadiens in Vegas to play the Golden Knights. The uh, New York Islanders will face the Tampa Bay Lightning in game one of their semifinal series. That will be on uh, at one o'clock on Sunday afternoon. You can catch that game right here on 630 Chad as well. Voice of the Oilers and the home of the National Hockey League and the Stanley Cup playoffs uh reminder the certainty hotline 780-496-0063 brought to you by certainty professional grade building materials pro all the way uh tonight is the first non-nhl night since january the 12th so we've gone five months straight almost with hockey so no hockey tonight or tomorrow uh, there will be hockey on sunday afternoon and we will go right into uh full coverage of the stanley cup playoffs rounds three and of course the stanley cup Final, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays in action today as they begin a series in Boston against the Red Sox. And uh, the score is 3-1 for the Jays in the bottom of the fourth inning NBA playoffs tonight. The uh, Philadelphia 76ers, who are the top seed in the East, taking on the fifth seed Atlanta Hawks. This series tied at one. Philly with an eight-point lead at 50-42. Still to come tonight. Uh, the uh, other game, the late game, will be in Denver as the Nuggets host the Phoenix Suns, who have a two-games to none lead the euro cup today bigger uh pools and also uh teams actually go, are going to have a chance to host games in their own hunt, uh, own country that's what italy did today they beat turkey by a score of three nil well when we talk about international events canada has been affected by the covid19 pandemic to talk about that and uh the road back grant mcdonald chief operating officer of sport tourism canada grant Nice to have you on the show. How are you doing? Very good, Dave. Good to be with you. Good to be with you as well. Well, we, you know, when we talk about the pandemic and its far-reaching effects, we know that it has in society. We know sports has been affected. And when we're talking about this subject about uh, how the pandemic has affected uh, the ability of this nation to host events and how it's affected the sport tourism industry, uh, tell me about a recent international, I believe it's survey, not study, uh, that just took place to kind of delve into this subject. 
Yeah, so we've undertaken the, the biggest survey initiative in the history of sport hosting in Canada in order to find out just how deep the impacts have been right down to the local level. Uh, we have learned that, uh, of course, and it comes as no surprise that local sport organizations, provincial and national organizations have all been deeply impacted and are trying to find ways to adapt to be able to get back to uh, competition and then ultimately getting back to hosting where we're able to host uh, between uh, two communities, but then ultimately within our regions and provinces. And then we want to be uh, hosting Canada and then ultimately the world once it is safe to do so. Uh, what we've learned from these two studies is that uh, in addition to the deep impacts, there's also going to be a long road to get back to where we were prior to COVID-19. So it's not going to be as easy as turning on the switch and saying, hey, we're open for business. Uh, we're gonna need to make sure that uh, these host organizations have the supports that they need to be able to host safely, host responsibly, and ultimately be able to host at the level that we expect in Canada, which is as the leading sport host nation worldwide. And you know this firsthand because you're on the organizing committee and you work very closely with Hockey Canada as far as the uh, hosting of the Women's World Hockey Championships in Halifax, which has been cancelled now twice or postponed, I should say, twice. Uh, happened pre-pandemic, like right before, like what, maybe 10 days before the pandemic uh, happened or we were it was declared a pandemic, uh, COVID-19. And then it just recently happened where and that was the most shocking one where it looked like everything was ready and then the, the local government said, nope, we're not doing it anymore but from that experience tell me how much that has really affected this nation's ability to, to try and host an international event well it certainly isn't easy and we've seen it from everything um, the CFL uh, has been uh, deeply impacted uh, NHL has had to adapt in a significant way and we know that right down to the local levels uh, such as uh, women's world hockey um, that every public health jurisdiction has its own realities that they're dealing with. And uh, that varies from city to city, province to province, and from Canada to other uh, countries globally. So uh, we know that each uh, host organizing committee is going to have to be able to, to adapt to those local circumstances and have multiple versions of plans to be able to, uh, to react. And in our case, uh, in 2021, it's very important that the Women's World Hockey Championship happens. Uh, and in order to ensure that it uh, can happen safely uh, and as scheduled, uh, it will be hosted in Alberta, uh, in Calgary in late August. So uh, that is a good news story that we are able to stage that international event. And I think what we need to do as communities, as provinces, and as Canada, is need to find ways to enable safe sport hosting uh, from the community level right on up to the international level. Joined by Grant McDonald, the Chief Operating Officer of Sport Tourism Canada here on 630 Chad Inside Sports, talking about a recent international survey which uh, just talks about how the pandemic has affected sports hosting in this country and sport tourism uh, as well. You know, you mentioned all the layers here. It's not just international, but it's uh, provincially, it's locally. This has a huge impact. It really does. And uh, sport hosting at the community, community level helps to build sport. Uh, it increases participation in local sport and provides our youth 
of our communities the ability to engage in physical activity uh, that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do and haven't been able to do in large part uh, for the last 16 months or so. What we also know is that it builds business. It's important to hotels, it's important to restaurants and retail uh, and gas stations uh, because on those weekends when a tournament is in town, we know that business goes up. So it's important to build business. And then it also builds community because uh, from volunteerism to uh, getting uh, residents engaged in community life, uh, it's going to go a long way to reinstoring some of that confidence in the public in order to go outside, to re-engage in community life, and then to be able to have the confidence to travel to that tournament that's uh, a few hours down the road, uh, stay in a hotel overnight, and then ultimately start to rebuild our visitor economy, which has been uh, so drastically and deeply impacted right across the country and around the world. So you're on a sports show here in Edmonton, and Edmonton has had the chance to host some pretty cool events. Uh, the, the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs were held in Edmonton, also in Toronto. And then after round two, everything was held in Edmonton. The Stanley Cup was awarded to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Great, that's wonderful. The uh, the uh, World Hockey Championship, or sorry, World Junior Hockey Championships were held exclusively in Edmonton in a bubble format. That's great. You go down the road to Calgary. The uh, there is what I, I so many international events in the curling bubble, including the Briar and the Scotties, and they held two Grand Slam events as well. That's all great. It's great from a viewership standpoint to talk about this, but I can tell you and this is no surprise probably, there wasn't very much buzz about the Stanley Cup playoffs because they were just here. So they're probably, you know, yes, there were teams staying in hotels and they were eating, you know, meals and that sort of thing, but bubbles are good. And the survey had said it, bubbles are good, but they're not sustainable. They're not. And really, they, that's one of the examples of how uh, host committees have been able to adapt in order to stage events uh, and largely for television view viewing audiences because they have happened behind closed doors. What we have the opportunity now to do is to reimagine what sport hosting can mean for the future from the community level up to the international level and how we engage residents of our communities and how we get people involved uh, and plugged in to those events that are happening. Ultimately, we, we want our events to be successful. That's part of what sport hosting in Canada uh, has always delivered uh, to international sport events is that when events happen here, they're safe, they're well attended, they're well run, and it's a fantastic experience for all of the competitors. What we wanna be able to do in the next evolution of sport hosting is to ensure that we're getting our community involved in those sport events as much as we can supporting the local uh, minor basketball uh, tournament that's happening uh, on a weekend uh, making sure that we're providing that experience to those visitors that are coming to town so that they feel special and they feel welcome and they feel like they're a big deal but ultimately we what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're impacting socially our community so that there are better places to live, better places to work, raise a family, and it feels more alive and it feels like we're always on stage if uh, we've got our best face uh, out to those visitors that are coming to town. We're a very hospitable nation. People love uh, the warmth and friendliness that they get when they come to our towns and communities, but we can do better, and I think that that's the opportunity we have now. 
Speaking with the uh, COO of uh, Sport Tourism Canada, Grant McDonald, here on 630 Chad Inside Sports. And, you know, the, the survey talks about how this country's reputation is very high. Like, I saw scores in the 70 to 80 percentile on this country's ability to host events, the volunteerism, um, just, just how welcoming this nation is, um, how comfortable everyone feels. And then you have the other side of it, and you talk about the business side of it, and the sports side of it then there's the health side of it which is a big reason why we're having trouble getting back to to normalcy here the vaccine rollout definitely helps um but you know we're going to have to see more uptake obviously um but when you talk about the reimagining of how we host events and tie that into the road back and it doesn't seem like it's going to be a very short road back it's a long road back i mean for example the montreal has had the world figure skating championships canceled twice i believe now or postponed they'll have it in 2024 that's a long way off so when we talk about the reimagining of sports hosting tied in with restrictions from a health perspective like how, how do we get kick-started to, to, to get back going again. And vaccines help, but there, I imagine there's got to be more. It does. And it really starts uh, at the community level. It, it's going to be about those minor sport organizations in your local communities uh, that are staging those. Uh, at first, it will be inter-community competitions uh, that will have uh, Sherwood Park uh, playing against uh, a team from Red Deer, for instance, right. or hosting a team from Red Deer. And that will enable people to start to feel comfortable and confident to be able to uh, go to those events, tr uh, make the trip, stay in a hotel, eat in restaurants, do all of those things that go along with it. Ultimately, what we'd like to do in reimagining what sport hosting can be is figure out ways that we can showcase when we're hosting those events, showcase our communities, ensure that every resident in our community uh, it has the opportunity to get involved, uh, ensure that our host committees look like uh, the populations of our communities, showcase our cultures. We've got some fantastic cultures in communities right across Canada. And hosting events gives us the opportunity to really uh, show off uh, what we have to offer, whether that be in uh, the multicultural uh, nature of many of our communities, whether that be in the food experiences, which differ from region to region across this country. Mm -hmm. And really, we've got a lot to be proud of and as Canadians, I think that we now, more so than maybe 25 years ago, are not as afraid uh, to show our pride. And we really want to host well, and we want to make people feel welcome, and we want to live up to that standard that the rest of the world sees of Canada, that uh, they want to come to Canada, and we want to give them a reason to. We know that we've got some, uh, some health and safety uh, concerns that we need to be able to manage our way through, and we need to do that collectively and collaboratively. No local organization is going to be able to do this on their own. Yeah. So we need to be able to give them the tools so that they can plan and ensure that that event can be safe and successful. You know, we've seen the local sport organizations, they've been, I mean, I'm just thinking here in Edmonton and in Alberta, that it's been a yo-yo where, you know, restrictions are loosened, they get to play a little bit, uh, or have a little bit of a practice, have kind of a cohort situation. I know minor hockey here in Edmonton was able to get off the ground for a little bit, and then it got shelved, and then you had the AJHL, and then you had other sport organizations, football, baseball, soccer. I mean, they were pretty much shelved. 
How much do you feel for those organizations? Uh, because they, everything starts at the grassroots level in sports. It's been crushing, uh, I can say. And, and that's part of why we did the domestic study is we wanted to go down uh, right into the grassroots of sport hosting in, in Canada. And we did hear from every province and territory and from community organizations of all sizes. They have told us that uh, they have been devastated financially, uh, organizationally. Uh, but the road back, uh, they're going to have to have some support. Uh, that support means they need to be able to get access to their venues, outdoor venues to start, but then ultimately we need to figure out how we can get them uh, training and competing at indoor venues. Uh, they're going to need support in order to ensure that they have the sponsorship revenue and they can offset the costs associated with the PPE that uh, is going to be required for the short term and maybe even midterm. We're not really sure, yeah. uh, but sport events need to be able to adapt to what those changing public health restrictions are. And ultimately we don't wanna go backwards uh, and we wanna do it safely so that all these local sport organizations can continue uninterrupted uh, once they do get back to uh, training competition and then ultimately sport hosting. Long road back, as you said, gotta reimagine how we do things. Are you optimistic though, Grant, that we can get there? Very optimistic. Um, sport tourism is not widely known in Canada. Uh, sport hosting is. Everybody's attended uh, a tournament of some description with their children uh, or in their own youth that they, uh, they've traveled to uh, some type of training or competition event or even a sport business meeting uh, if they happen to be on the board of a local organization or provinci provincial organization. All of that is sport tourism. So we all understand it and there is a high degree of collaboration and innovation that is happening out there. You saw it with the World Juniors in Edmonton. You saw it with the NHL bubble in Edmonton. Uh, those uh, didn't impact the community in any way. So we know we can do it safely. Ultimately, what we want to be able to do is ensure that we can come back better so that when we start to host uh, tournaments and competitions again and um, annual meetings again, mm -hmm. that it is safe, that we have the confidence of our public health authorities uh, our funders and our sponsors, and ultimately that we're uh, ensuring a safe experience for all the participants, all the attendees, and everybody uh, is more confident in traveling once again. Brand, this was a great discussion. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll see what the results of this study is. And hopefully, you know, I may, I, I'll say a year from now, maybe we can look back and we see some of the inroads already made. I certainly hope so because this country is an excellent host and uh, I've dealt with enough local communities here in Edmonton just to know they're a good representation of, of everyone. Everyone wants to just kind of get back to normal and just just compete and see see everyone just enjoying sport again and that will grow to the international level. Grant, thank you so much. Take care. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Good conversation with Grant McDonald, the Chief Operating Officer of Sport Tourism Canada. Well, next hour, we'll be joined by Brett Fraser, the President of the Edmonton Stingers and the Canadian Elite Basketball League, the defending champions. Yes, there's plans for a season. There will be a season, and everyone's going to be in their own venues and with fans as well. That is the plan. 
So we'll talk to Brett about that. And Kevin Hodgson, who runs the Heroes Hockey Program in Calgary. He's one of three finalists for the Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award, which will be uh, announced during the Stanley Cup semifinals. It is Dave Campbell and for Reed Wilkins. Final hour of the week coming up on 630 Chad Inside Sports. Six thirty, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.